Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 37 of the Backyard Bench Podcast. My name is Matt Harmon. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you all once again. And today I've got a great guest. Um, and we're getting a house call today because uh, we're going to see how many terrible like doctor puns I'm going to make during the show. And I hate puns, actually. So I'm going to try to completely avoid it. But spoiler alert, we are joined by Football Guys' own Dr. Gene Bramel. Gene, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's a show I've enjoyed for a long time now, so I'm pleased to join you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this show is all about highlighting different people in the community, finding out how you got into your space and and what we can convey to uh, the listeners and maybe new people that are aspiring to get in. And I have a feeling, Gene, that you will provide one of the more unique stories because of your unique position in our community. But before we get to all that, I always start the show asking the same question to the guest. How did you come to fall in love with the game of football, sports, or fantasy, this, that, and the other? Take me through the beginning phases there. Yeah, I think I fell into fantasy football, and I fell into the football in general because it certainly wasn't my first love. I was I was a baseball fan first. I know you'll love to hear that. I was a basketball Jesus. fan second. And <laughs> it comes up every time, right? But God. I think, you know, I think I, I think I heard Adam talk about this a little bit, Levitan and some others, where I was kind of a box score guy. Um, I'd wait for the newspaper to get thrown on the porch, and I'd stop doing what I was doing and, and look at the box scores. When it was raining outside, I'd pull out my baseball cards. I had a transistor radio that would be under my pillow at nighttime, um, and it all started as um, a love of baseball, and I think it was a love of storytelling more than anything else. And um, I grew up in Cincinnati, and I was lucky enough to have two really good baseball announcers, and I would fall asleep to that every night. And the story from you know baseball is sort of a slower game, so there was lots of storytelling no in between time. And you know the baseball gamer stories and the box scores, and you could tell yourself a story. So um, you know I had a love of sports. And I think it stemmed from that, you know, the football side of things came a lot later growing up in Cincinnati. The Bengals were okay when I was a kid. I think I was first grade kindergarten or first grade during their first Super Bowl trip and closer to seventh or eighth grade during the second. So as I grew up, they were decent. After that, they were not for many, many decades. And I'm sort of a, a reformed NFL fan where I don't really have allegiance to any particular team at this point. Um, but, you know, there was some football in the background, but um, I wasn't big enough to play in, you know, for the school that we had. It wasn't really something that drew me. I wasn't really a big fall sport character at all. So um, I stumbled into football in medical school and fantasy football is just a way to get a few of the guys together. You know, we started the school year started in August and everything was sort of happening around the same time. A few of the guys I was sitting around wanted to get involved in fantasy football league and it sort of went from there. Um, and, you know, I just 
it just sort of stumbled along from there. I ended up meeting somebody, John Norton, part of football guys who found out lived very close to me, pretty similar in age, had pretty similar experiences, struck up a conversation on email and, and that connection sort of led me to where we are today. It's so fascinating. The um, storytelling that you mentioned, and I think I'm, I think I've known this for a while, but it's been abundantly clear to me lately that that is such a big reason why I love the game of football. You know, the human, like the human element of it and um, watching we, Alex and I watched uh, all or nothing last night. And I think it's something like that, that um, football culture, sometimes the grittiness that I know Eric Stoner reminds us of a lot on a few podcasts recently that I was listening to, you know, that how that can sometimes be a real macho warlike mentality thing, but also just the camaraderie. And that show really does a good job of reminding you of that and that gets lost in fantasy football. And it's a part of the reason, like I, I will probably overrate uh, John Brown for like, as a good example for his entire career, not just because his reception perception is awesome, which it is, but because I just like, I like, I like the guy, I like the player. And I don't, I, mean, I don't know him even in the slightest bit. But yeah. that human element of it, I think, is really appealing. I don't know. So it's good that you brought that up. I think that's ultimately what we're all drawn to about these sorts of things. Um, you know, I've got lots of books behind me. They're probably 70% baseball related, and they're all storytelling. They're anecdotes. They're, you know, all the things that we like about it. And I think, you know, we sort of make fun a little bit of Narrative Street and oh, yeah. all of that, but there's something to that. I mean, that's that's why there is Narrative Street. That's That's part of what it, I'm sure it draws many of us to that, but that's what drew me to sports initially. And you like the competitive side of things. It was a way to be active, all of those things. But when it got down to it for me, it was just a love of uh, what was behind the numbers and what was behind what you actually saw happen on the field. Yeah, I mean, just re always remembering that these are human subjects is an incredibly important thing. It's something that I always try to remind myself in, in, in every player that I study. But just that, like, and I think – to tie it back to fantasy football, I think one of the reasons that the the storytelling and, and all that really kind of ties back into fantasy is because as fantasy analysts, you, know, you, you kind of stamp yourself to players and like they become your guys, whether they even know you exist in the universe or not. <laughs> you root for that one player. I mean, there's like a, a probably a handful of 10 receivers that I just, you know, and everybody knows mostly who they are, like that I root the hell out of, you know, and like when they, when they score, I, you know, I score and I feel it. And, so it's so it's even more than just winning fantasy championships is more just that human connection that you make with sports is so powerful. Uh, it's underrated. But Gene, uh, this is normally where I'd ask somebody, you know, in the formulaic part of the podcast, this is normally where I would ask somebody, uh, you know, how, what was the impetus to cover sports? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swerve with you here a little bit. Obviously in your real life, not, not our fake football world, uh, you are a, you, you know, you're actually a doctor, you know, you, you're, that is your job. You're a pediatrician, I believe, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit. What made Gene Bramble want to become Dr. Gene Bramble? That's a good question. I think as I, as I grew up, you know, the storytelling side of things and the, and the, the sciencey side of things, I guess, for lack of a better term, I think both of those things were draws to me. I thought about being a writer. I thought about being a sports writer. I thought about doing journalism school. Um, but ultimately, I fell in love with science. Um, but I knew I wanted to work with people. Uh, and I enjoyed working with kids. And it was something that was clear to me early on. So once I decided, you know, I, I 
try to keep my options open as long as possible, but it, it was a clear and continual draw for me that I wanted to work with kids. Um, and I liked the idea of medicine and I never really strayed from that. There were points in my career where I thought, well, I don't think I really want to do that, or I can't believe I ended up doing this particular side of pediatrics, but I think the draw was continual and strong. And I think I certainly could have ended up doing journalism or writing or something like that. And in some, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's, you know, I, I ended up in both, you know, things that I was really drawn to when I was younger. But um, I, I think it was a love of, it was a love of kids. It was a love of, um trying to impact them in some way. Uh, and I enjoyed the science part of it. So it's not a particularly sexy answer for, for how I ended up where I was, but um, I think all those things were draws for me. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that uh, it definitely is kind of like, you've gotten a little bit of the best of both worlds uh, as the you know injury guy for football guys. Before we dig into that a little bit, do you have any like good doctor stories, whether it, you know, that you can tell, you know, that wouldn't go beyond the, the, the boundaries of, of things that you can reveal, but whether like a good or even a, maybe a less than, less than positive uh, story or something you could share as a, from that perspective? Because it's interesting to me, it's something that I never considered as a career path. For all of the talk that we just did about storytelling, I don't really see myself as a very good storyteller. Sometimes if something reminds me of a story, I'll, you know, you know, I remember that we did that and we'll talk about that. But um, I just think in, in general terms, it's, you know, you talk, you brought kind of bring it back to the human condition again. I think, um, you know, one of the things that drew me to kids was that I liked dealing with adults better as parents as I did adults, um, because most times they will show a little bit more interest in their kids' health maybe than their own. Uh, so I think, you know, those sorts of things. And, I, you know, I've been involved in some tough situations, but there's lots of um, uplifting situations that I've been a part of as well. So I don't know if there's really one story that comes to mind necessarily, but I think it's, you know, day to day, minute to minute, there's always something happening that surprises you about people, that surprises you about kids. And it's almost always in a positive way. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I mean, if anybody knows my, my background, I could probably sit here and rant and rave with you about children's health uh, <laughs> for a while now. But could. Yep. <laughs> we'll save that conversation for now, um, lest we go too far into my you know dark, dark, fat past. <laughs> but I, I think that, so as we said, you kind of have a little bit of the best of both worlds now, Gene, with your place at Football Guys. Uh, and you know, if you, if you don't know Gene's work, obviously he is, if you haven't figured out by now, he's the injury expert pretty much at football guys. Like anytime there is an injury thing, even as when I, before I was writing for football guys as a casual observer, it's like, Oh, a player is injured. You know, what does Gene have to say about it? You know? And even still now as an analyst, I'm like, well, I got no clue what Sammy Watkins foot injury means. What did Gene say about it on the audible? You know? So it's, it's, you've carved out like a hell of a niche, but how did you first get hooked up with football guys? I tried not to. No, I really tried not to um, because I, I just didn't, I didn't know if it was something that would be a fit for me to write, to write regularly. Um, you know, I knew a little bit about football. I had a little bit of knowledge about, about players. And I mean, I didn't start out as injury um, analyst. I started out as defensive player analyst and defensive football analyst. And, um, you know, I mentioned John Norton a little bit earlier. I did a little bit of pinch hitting for him and Bob Henry at their website, Red Eye Sports, years and years and years ago. Um, and when John and Bob moved on to football guys, 
over the next two or three years, they'd ask me from time to time, you know, we'd like you to come on board. I feel like you do pretty good work and you come right for us. And I'd look and see, you know, Bob was doing those training camp reports at those times. He'd doing all 32 teams by himself. He was writing two or three articles a week. John was doing the same. I'm thinking, how in the world do you guys do that? I mean, you know, what's the learning curve? How steep is it to get that breadth of knowledge and that depth of knowledge and then to, uh, to write that much, um, you know, and eventually John, twisted my arm to the point where he just wasn't going to take no for an answer. He said, you just do as much or as little as you want. Um, and I found out that I really enjoyed it. I was at a point in my life where I had some extra time. Um, I was interested uh, in writing a little bit more and, and found a way to do it. The injury thing, I, I tried to avoid that too. That's kind of, a, I think that's probably a little bit different than what a lot of your guests have said so far where they, you know, they've actively searched out things to do. I've always been a little bit reluctant of, you know, putting yourself, putting myself out there and saying, I'm an expert in this, I'm an expert in that. Uh, and I don't know if that comes from the medical side of things or not. I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm nervous and careful about any suggestion that I know more than, you know, or that I'm talking more than I actually know or anything along those lines. So, you know, the injury side, started with Ben Roethlisberger's motorcycle accident uh, and Joe Bryant football guys. You know, we had had a little bit of an email string back and forth. And um, I had commented that, you know, it might take this long for him to recover from his fractured jaw. And Joe said, well, can you give me something to put in the email? Uh, and we did that and it went over relatively well. And shortly after that, I said, look, I, I think you've got a talent for this. Is this something you'd be interested in? I said, well, you know, I, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. I don't have a big background in injuries, um, but I feel like I can talk the lingo a little bit and, and maybe we can couch this in. Um, you know, I'm not the orthopedic expert necessarily, but uh, this is what I think the team is really trying to tell us when, when such and such is going on. And that was before the days of multiple camera angles and HDTV and all those other sorts of things that make our job as injury analysts a little bit easier. Um, but I, I, and I feel like I tried to resist those things maybe a little bit more than I even should have. And over time, it was just something that I found I enjoyed more and more and, and kind of grew into. Yeah, that is fascinating. It's a very different perspective. Um, and, and one thing that you mentioned in your story about you know, Bob Henry and John Norton, talk about like two of the, uh, you know, best kept secrets of the fantasy industry. I feel like, I mean, people, people that know football guys know Bob Henry and John Norton, but that's the, you know, I know Matt Waldman has taken on more of a, you know, a, an objective to push our content out there with the FBG news letter and everything to more of the mass public and everything, but damn, I mean, those guys are good. And they like, I love Bob, especially getting to meet him the last couple of years in Vegas. Like it's, it's a, we have an incredible staff there. We are, I think, we are multiple generations into fantasy football writing and sort of internet writing in general. And I think John and Bob would probably be considered, if not in the first generation, right up against that first generation. Both of those guys, I was exposed to them. I don't know, it probably wasn't prodigy days, but it was definitely AOL days. I, when I, I started medical school in, um, in 99, and back then, if you wanted some sort of fantasy discussion, it was Fantasy Insights. And there were probably 10 different guys, and included Joe Bryant, that were writing for that particular website. Um, and they all sort of branched out from there. You know, Bob and, uh, and, and John opened their own website, and David and Joe had their own sort of thing as well. Um, but those guys from the beginning were people that you would identify as having some of the strongest content in the business. John 
has been right in his eyes of the guru defensive stuff. He just it always amazes me every time I see this each year. But he starts his he starts that series in the summer by telling you how long he's been doing it. This year is the 21st year he's been writing that column, and I think I've probably been reading it since the beginning. So um, it's a privilege to know these guys, um, you know, folks that have done it year in year out never fallen behind the curve have kept up from the beginning and good writers too so i you know i've i've been lucky in many regards you know I've, i kind of jokingly say that i've i try to it, it took a while to bring me into the fold so to speak but it was never for a lack of it was more of a respect and, a, and an awe at what guys like that were able to do at the time when you were talking about usa today waiting once a week or pro football weekly in their whispers that was where you would get your information if you didn't get it from there you were watching games and coming up with it yourself um pencil and paper and the whole bit so those guys all the respect in the world and it's it's awesome that we still have so many of those guys out there not just at football guys but across the industry yeah i can't remember now i've done so many of these podcasts i can't remember who else i was talking about this with but um it was one of the recent shows and just that, and I got that feeling being at football guys, you know, when I, when I started there, I think I was you know, 23 or 22 or something in the first Vegas trip. I'm out there and I'm like, Holy shit. There are so many talented people here that have been doing this for, you know, 20 something years. Do I even really belong, you know, in, in this group of people and everything. And it's, it's incredible. I mean, but that just goes to show, and that's what really what this podcast is all about is, is showing, how many people have been doing this for so long and building that uh, that history of our of our crazy little world here? It's in, it's it's almost overwhelming to think about. Yeah, it's been overwhelming to me for a long time too. I I felt the same way walking into that room the first time, and um, one of the reasons I'm still around is because of how welcoming that room is, and has been, and always will be. Um, the people that are there, and again, it's not this is not exclusive to football guys, um, as you've shown with this show, is that there are so many good people in the industry and so many people that support each other um, from the you know the first weeks that you come up all the way until now it's um it's one of the best things about what we do yeah there's no doubt about that it is and uh so i let you get off on a tangent they're talking about other people gene but i'm gonna get back to you uh that was for i tried i tried i tried (laughs) that was for your benefit there because i like you but uh back but back to you now gene um you mentioned kind of that uh that lack of desire to be in the spotlight i guess or to you know, have attention brought on to yourself. And I think that listeners to the audible will probably pick, pick up on that a little bit. Uh, but what that's so it's such a different perspective again, from the people that we normally bring on here, you know, whether it is an attention whore like myself who just, you know, can't help, but uh, <laughs> can't help, but put himself out there too much or any of the other people that are obviously if you're in this industry, you're willing to welcome a little bit of attention to yourself. But what is that? What has that been like being a bit more of a public figure now? scares the hell out of me sometimes. Um, I th- you know, one of the fun things about our live Thursday show is we have some folks that do Photoshop mashups and that sort of stuff. And I <laughs> um, shout out to Fiveish there, but there are some interesting photo mashups of me on the internet. Um, and when worlds collide for me, I've had three moms, you want to hear a medical story, I've had three moms this year alone ask me about the image of Chia Jean that is out oh there on God. Google. So if you Google <laughs> me looking to find out a little bit more about your baby's pediatrician and you find out 
that uh, chia gene is out there or bushwick gene or rock flag and eagle gene or any of those things got a little bit of worlds colliding there but um, that's beautiful you know, <laughs> i think some of that comes back to me for it's, it's i hope it never comes off as false humility or humble brag but I, you know what i said about john and bob there i think it's I think it's just a healthy respect for the people that have done it before and a recognition of it's not an easy thing to do um, and you hope you do it well and you feel like you, you know, there are people, I, I, you know, you can't deny that people are, are interested in what we have to say. And I'm so fortunate to have people that are interested in what I tweet or have anything to say at all. So um, I, I really am hesitant to suggest that I'm anything more than I am, which is a pediatrician with a little bit of extra experience in sports medicine who likes writing about injuries, um, who, who is comfortable trying to translate some of the stuff that the NFL says about injuries in its players. And it's really nothing more than that. Um, and I'm, I don't do what David Chow does. I haven't ever done what David Chow has done. And um, I'm always, it's just a little bit of nervousness always in the back of my mind about having people believe that I'm suggesting that I'm something that I'm not. And I feel like over time, you know, I, I've, I've done a little bit, you know, I feel comfortable with what I'm writing about in that regard, but I'm still really careful to just say, you know, I, this, there are limitations in what we do and what we all do. And, you know, and you and Matt Waldman and so many others say the very same thing, which is, you know, we work from a place of what we're comfortable working through. Um, so I, you know, I'm, it, it shocks me every day that somebody wants to tweet me and ask a question about that. Um, uh, you know, about injuries or defensive players or whatever, and feels like that my opinion holds any weight at all because um, I remember where I've been and, 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 and what it took to sort of build up a little bit of knowledge base that I have. Yeah, we're all very fortunate to have people uh, listening. And uh, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Without them, we would be, uh, we would be nothing, of course. Nobody, you know, there would be no, there'd be no content if there were no people listening. That is always the... the I'd probably thing. still be playing with my baseball cards and, and doing whatever else, trying to... Yeah, know, right. Pass the time away. But, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I think the community and the audience we have is, is something special. And I hope that uh, that doesn't get lost in the mix at all. No, I, I think it doesn't. And I think that this show, if anything... A lot of the people that have been on it have have said that same thing. We had Mike Taglier on the last show, and we talked a lot about uh, just being grateful to the to the audience and doing things to to show that we are grateful. And I think that's a you know that is a, that is definitely a football guys thing for for sure. I mean, not not exclusive to football guys, of course, but it's something that is definitely instilled uh, by Joe and David and everybody that that comes from there. Gene, I I kind of want to dig into a little bit, you know the methodology behind, behind what you do. Cause you mentioned, it's not, it's not, you're not a team doctor, you know, you don't get your hands on these guys like you would and really be able to diagnose things. When, when, you, when a player's injured, you know, if it's Sammy Watkins foot injury or something, you know, Thomas Rawls's ankle, how do you like kind of get the information to get that, to get your opinion out there to our readers? Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. I have no, specific knowledge about anything that's going down. Um, so, you know, I really try to 
do as much as I can to build up my knowledge base so I have a sense of what a particular injury is, how it happens, what to expect afterwards, what the current trends are. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to an NFL sports medicine conference where a lot of the team docs were and they were talking about um, pretty much every injury that there was and, uh, and, and some of the recent trends and how they were treated from surgical procedures to um, rehab protocols, to all those sorts of things. And I think because I'm not boots on the ground, I'm not um, orthopedic trained or experienced, I think it's important for me to, to try to get as much knowledge there as I can. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's multiple parts to this. There's, you know, in the moment, sometimes from the sideline, if you're standing on the sideline, and I'll do this on high school football nights on Friday nights. Sometimes you get a, you can visually see exactly what happened with the injury. And then you go out and talk to the player and you try to get a sense from them how they think the injury happened, um, exactly where they're hurt and get as many details from them as you can. Uh, and then you do a physical examination and you get information from that. Uh, and then oftentimes, certainly in the NFL, but even in the younger age groups as well, there's some sort of imaging study that gets done in follow-up exams. And we don't have any of that. Um, you know, we're lucky with HD cameras and multiple video angles now that oftentimes it's much more often that we do get to see what the injury mechanism was than wasn't. It's rare that there's not an angle where we just don't see something that happened in the pile. It does. Um, but knowing the biomechanics and physics of the human body and how injuries occur, a lot of times we can make a pretty good educated guess for what we think is going on. We're never 100%, well, I'll just speak for myself. You, I don't feel like I can ever be 100% accurate on those things because of all the all the, the other aspects of, uh, of injury diagnosis that goes into that. Um, we are, we've gotten exceedingly lucky with Twitter, I think really pushed this and with the, um, the intelligence of the average fan now, knowing and pushing Adam Schefter and Jay Glazer and Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero and Jason Lockenfora and all of the beat writers, you know, those guys are getting questions and they're mentioned all the time. Well, tell me if it's this great of strain or tell me, you know, come back in a month or two is not good enough anymore. Um, and it's also no longer good enough to wait until Tuesday or Wednesday to put that information out there. Even as recently as a couple of years ago, we probably wouldn't get much information about a critical injury until Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning. Now, usually before you go to bed on Sunday night, depending on how late you stay up, you know what's going on. So I don't have, you know, you kind of see what's going on with your eyes on the television screen. Um, and then you wait and get a little bit of information based on what the team is telling you uh, and what the, what the beat writers have to say afterwards. And you sort of meld that together. And there are lots of times where, you know, I, John Fox and Alshon Jeffrey last year is just the most recent example of you know, something that you're hearing from the team doesn't make sense with what your eyes are telling you. And yes, sometimes the eyes can be a little bit deceiving, but generally, uh, if you get a pretty good look at things after a while, you know what to look for and you know what to listen for. And if it doesn't fit together, then you know that's when we can say, well, I think this, there's a little bit more going on than what they're saying, or in certain cases, you know, folks overreact to what seems to be a more severe injury than what you're seeing. And you can say, well, you know what, we probably don't have to be as concerned about this. Um, and I think we've been lucky, all of us that do this over the years that we've gotten more and more information. We were really working with a lot of incomplete information in the past, but I'm feeling like we're getting more and more information. You know, we got Jason Pierre-Paul's OR schedule. Um, yeah. tweeted at us by Adam Schefter a couple of years ago. And if you know what to look for on those things, you can get a lot of information. You can read between the lines on what some of these guys are tweeting out. Um, so they've made it a little bit easier on us over time. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 for sure like just the wealth of information and what fans want to know is that's the crazier part. I guess one thing, you know, Waldman has recently taken to calling you um, Lester from The Wire, you know, the constant like, <laughs> detective and everything. I know you mentioned it on the live show tonight. And uh, I, I, I was I, so I guess my question is, like, has there ever been a time where your spidey senses or, you know, were going off like this isn't right? You know, like kind of like you meant what you mentioned, the team is saying something and like a specific example of a time when the team is saying something and, and you like, wait a second, this isn't right based on just what you see. And you ended up kind of being your, your instinct or your intuition ended up being correct. Yeah. And I, th- I think some of it is, you know, the team teams not wanting to completely show their cards, whether it be off season or regular season, but um, job at best always comes to mind to me. Um, you know, when he had been suffering through some of his concussion issues and the team had said, well, you know, we're still sort of day to day, but we were day to day with it. Um, and he hadn't been cleared for contact many weeks into this. And, you know, the assumption at that point was, well, he could be cleared any day. Um, and you just know that that's, you know, there's, there's something fishy about that. Your spidey senses, as I always like to say, tell you that, you know, once you've gone this amount of time without a resolution in your concussion symptoms, there's really no timetable for it. And unfortunately, he was never able to return. Um, you know, John Fox saying that Alshon Jeffrey is still day to day with his hamstring strain 17 to 20 days into his recovery. Well, you're not day to day anymore. I mean, you are some respect, but you can't say that, uh, you know, you know that it's a little bit more severe injury at that point. Um, I remember taking a little bit of heat on Teddy Bridgewater when he had a high ankle sprain a few years ago saying, look, it's going to be really hard for a player to recover from this sort of injury, even a quarterback, even a tough player like Bridgewater within four days for Thursday night football um, when the team is saying something differently. So, you know, you have to decide What's the motivation of the player to tell you what he's telling you? What's the motivation of the team to tell you what he's telling you? Um, is the beat writer, is the way that tweet is constructed telling you something that they're hearing something more positive from an agent? We saw that with Des Bryant last year where we're going to try to get him back in four to six weeks and then three weeks into his his foot fracture, he's having a stem cell injection. And he just, you know, after a while you get a sense that, and it tends to be more pessimistic than not. It's not always the case. I tend to be a lot more optimistic on Achilles stuff than, than uh, what the concern has been over the years, but generally it's a player that's trying to put on a superhuman timetable for recovery. So, um, and I think it's, you know, you call it spidey senses if you like. I, you know, I, I, I don't mind the Lester Freeman comparison. The joke I make in the clinic is I think 40% of what I do is, you know, you can call it observation, you can call it detective work, um, and that works maybe not as much with adults as with kids because a lot of what I do is just watching what goes on in the room. 40% sales because you have to have a way of presenting what you think is happening, whether it be some sort of illness, something in the future for a child or what I think is happening and on the injury side of things. And then 20% knowledge base. And that's probably minimizing all of those things to a certain extent. But yeah, I think especially what we do because we're working with incomplete information, we're trying to read between the lines. and, And sometimes it feels like, smart, educated guessing. Sometimes it feels like just outright speculation. And I think you have to be careful about how you approach both of those things. And, um, you know, again, speaking for myself, I try really hard to not speculate um, because I don't think, I think it does a disservice to everyone to 
to to put something out there that you hope is correct, but you don't really have a lot of confidence may actually be correct. You think it's probably what's going on, but I don't like to put things out there unless I'm I'm pretty confident in what I'm seeing. And we're still going to be wrong from time to time. I'm certainly going to be wrong. I've been wrong multiple times in the past. Um, but I think you know from that detective standpoint, you don't want to. You know, you, you don't want to uh, put your investigation in ink until you've got a pretty good comfort level with that. That's what's going to be proven to be true. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And kind of circling back to that human behavior thing, you know, so much of what uh, so much of what it comes from is, is deciphering what's the truth. You know, what is is this team lying to us? Because heads up, they do lie a lot. And, <laughs> you know, I don't I, have I, any incentive to tell the truth. No, no, I mean, they, they certainly can't. do not. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't necessarily fault them for that. I get grumpy, especially with head injuries, when we see teams distort the truth a little bit and say mild concussion or concussion-related symptoms or the Michael Vick dirt in the eye. Um, that bugs me um, because it's, it's, it affects more than the team for me. Um, I know that my high school players will read that. They will read that Brian Urlacher and Peyton Manning and so many others gamed their impact testing their preseason testing so that they'd be more likely to pass later in the year. Um, you know, hearing things like what Calvin Johnson has said this week about the number of concussions that were out there and the number of pain killing, all that sort of stuff that you, that sort of bothers you a little bit, but it, you have to go back and, and understand what the motive for the team is. And you hope that they're acting in everyone's best interest, but they're really acting in the best interests of, of winning. I mean, you know, I don't remember who exactly said winning is a business, but that's part of, that detective work there is you, you know you have to discern who's giving you the information and um, whether or not what they're telling you is is more likely to be the truth or not just based on what purposes it may serve them later and teams don't have any incentive to tell you the truth they're not mandated to do anything other than put a body part on the injury report that's pretty much all they're mandated to do right yeah that incentive is definitely not there and that was something i was going to ask you anyways and you're kind of leading into it right now does it ever get? And I can I can answer this question on on my end, especially being a league a league employee for for God's sakes. Uh, does it ever get tough to kind of rationalize the 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 head injury stuff and what these guys are doing, especially from from a medical background? Like you've got more you've got more knowledge about what it does do to you. And does it ever get hard to rationalize that? Like that this hobby that we're so obsessed uh, with and fantasy football and all that, like. Does it ever get does it ever get hard to deal with and like kind of come off as almost like callous or, or something like that? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, does it ever cross my mind that I should stop doing what I'm doing because I'm nervous about how head injuries or player safety in general is being treated? Yeah, I guess it probably does, but at least in the NFL, theoretically we're dealing with adults who you know, you'd like to think are as informed as possible or believe they are as informed as possible. You know, I, I don't remember what the most recent surveys and studies are, but, you know, you survey NFL players and ask, you know, if you, you know, if, if you knew that this was your risk of head injury and this was your risk of arthritis and this was your risk of joint replacement and this was your risk of whatever, would you do this anyway? Would you do it over again? And so many of them say yes. Um, you know, and then you hear about the, you know, the frontline pieces and the league of denial and all those things. And, and maybe players weren't given all of the information about head injuries or Toradol or any number of other things. And you wonder, well, you know, where are we with that? Um, I do think about from time to time, um, am I, is there anything hypocritical about me standing on the sidelines on Friday evenings? 
supporting high school football um, when you know maybe the best equipment isn't there or you're worried about whether or not players are being treated appropriately and um, I always fall back to I think we are there with the best interests in mind um, I, I don't think there's a specific reason to stop the game of football right now I don't think it's risen to that level of concern I think you know I'm going off on another tangent here but you know, the rise of flag football and, and better equipment and all those sorts of things are going to help. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I am watching 14 and 15 year olds sometimes do a very violent and dangerous situation that may impact them later in life. And um, I'm mindful of that when I'm there that, you know, it's somebody needs to advocate for those kids while they're there. But I, I think about that quite a bit. Um, and I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm approaching it from a hypocritical spot necessarily, but it does cross my mind that if I'm so concerned about how the league is uh, is handling head injuries or I'm so concerned about the, the risk of these things later in life, um, am I doing the right thing by supporting it in any way? Should I be writing about it? Um, should I be supporting it on the sidelines? And I, I generally fall back to, well, um, I think there's still something to be said for educating folks, whether it's fans in whatever limited way I can and educating players on the sideline in high school and in my clinic about this is what you need to be mindful of. This is how this is the risk that you face. And this is what you have to make sure that you're honest about with parents, coaches, teammates, what have you. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to, to, to ask yourself. And I can I can imagine, like I said, it's even more so with the, with the medical background. And, but I think we've gone we've gone heavy enough on that topic. Uh, we'll swerve off that away, especially, you know, especially if any shadowy league figures are going to enter my apartment and uh, <laughs> carry me off. That event. was all me. You just asked the question. I was... <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't, give an, I, I, didn't, I didn't give an opinion. I didn't say anything. It was the dog. It was always the dog. But, but Gene, you know, obviously one, one thing that you've really, you're a, pretty much a pristine example of is somebody that's carved out a niche in the fantasy community in the football world, not just with the medical, but the medical side of things, but also with, you know, your knowledge of defensive players. Like you mentioned, that that's originally what brought you to football guys. And, you know, any, anytime that somebody asks me an IDP question, I always say, I have no damn clue, uh, but here's Gene Bramble's Twitter handle. <laughs> Ask Gene. Um, what, can you kind of speak on the importance of finding that niche and what, like, what what is it like having the the IDP niche along with the medical niche? Yeah, I'm a big believer in being curious and asking questions wherever that leads you. That led you to reception perception. That led Matt into um, finding a different way to process rookies. That led all of us. Um, that led Pro Football Focus to do what they're doing now. That's all of the best content came from being curious, um, and that's. I, I like the defensive side of the ball. David Fulcher was my favorite football player when I was in grade school and high school. So I naturally gravitated to that side of the ball. And I wanted to know a little bit more about schemes. And I wanted to know um, how defensive game plans worked and who was more likely to make a play in that regard. Um, and it always just made sense to me, even from the early days of starting to do fantasy leagues, that you know why not include defensive players? Because they were just as enjoyable to, for me to watch as anybody else. And Although a lot of the NFL statistics defensive side of the ball are not official, they're still there and they can be aggregated. And for the most part, um, you can make the league's best and most dynamic defensive players 
valuable. Um, and so it was just natural to me to, to work on the defensive side. And again, you know, just, just so happened that I grew up 20 minutes away from the only person that was writing any sort of IDP content 20 to 25 years ago. Um, and, and so I just sort of naturally fell into that. Is it important to find a niche? I, I don't know if it's as important to find a niche as it's important to find out something that you're naturally curious about um, and that you can, you're comfortable going to find the answers to and you enjoy finding the answers to. So um, to read about Buddy Ryan's 46 defense or to figure out how the evolution of the 3-4 defense went from Earhart to to Belichick to Wade Phillips to Nolan and all of that stuff in between. Um, I think ask questions that you're interested in and then I think that naturally comes out in how you write and what you choose to write and um, I got more and more curious about injuries in the same way well is it really make sense that Jason Witten can only be out X amount of weeks after a splenic laceration does it makes why why is it that there are so many more Liz Frank injuries and high ankle sprains over the past couple of years what is it about that um, and I think if you're you know for those of folks that are listening to you that are looking for, you know, how to get into the industry in a little bit is, you know, when you're reading folks that you enjoy reading about, ask yourself the same questions you think the person who's writing is asking themselves. And if there's something in that feature that you read um, of mine or of yours, Matt, or, you know, you talked with Graham about, you know, his question was, how do I do this for running backs? Um, if there's an unanswered question out there or if there's a question that you don't feel has been answered to your satisfaction or, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do in the medical world, you know, you would hope that you'd see studies replicating previous studies. There's nothing wrong with trying to replicate and build on what somebody else's already good work has done because if you come at it from a different perspective, you might stumble onto something that's really important and that can be your niche. And it doesn't have to be something that nobody else is doing necessarily, but I think the combination of asking questions that, that maybe not been answered to their fullest degree and then writing about them well is what's needed and, and what's looked upon with a lot of favor in our industry right now. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I always tell people when they ask me, you know, well, I, I know you always say like you need to be a, create unique content. You need to have something associated with yourself, you know, and I always say like, yeah, find the thing that, uh, that you want to know the answer to that nobody else is answering and be the one to answer it. And that's what it was for me with reception perception. It's like, why is nobody quantifying like how often, you know, quantifying route running, how often guys are getting open. And, uh, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll slaughter my social life and be the one to do it. <laughs> but we all have something that we give up, I suppose. I think, I think that it's so fascinating just in terms of the niche discussion and everything, but I guess kind of winding down here and I really appreciate your time for sure. Uh, one, one thing I guess I've, I've been asking people a lot lately and I'm, I'm especially curious to hear your answer on these couple questions. One would be, you know, what, what do you like, what's next for you, Gene? Obviously it seems like you hardly want to be in the, uh, hardly wanted to end up in the position that you ended up in, but what do you, what do you think comes next for Gene Bramble? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I just, I always want to get better at whatever I'm doing. I don't really, I, on the medical side of things, I think something that's extremely healthy is to be able to say you don't know and be able to recognize that you don't know something. To not know what you don't know is a scary thing to me. Um, and part of the reason I'm 
whatever reluctance I have about writing what I'm writing and doing what I'm doing is that I, I don't want to not know what I don't know. So, um, you know, taking steps to improve that knowledge base and, you know, I want to find out more about the uh, radio frequency tags and GPS and that data is going to be released, I would think at some point over the objections of all of the NFL teams and how is that going to be used? What might that be able to tell us about injury prone questions that drive me crazy, as you know, um, just, just to try to expand the knowledge base and to do what we do a little bit better. I would love to find more time to um, to be a little bit better writer. I think we can all improve as writers. I read what Matt writes, um, Waldman writes, and I read what um, how Chase Stewart weaves his data into a story. And um, I get a little bit sad that whether it's time or whether it's um, talent that I need to improve on a little bit. I'd love to be a little bit better writer. So I, I think those things are, are things that I'd really like to take a little bit more time and, and pay a little bit more attention to. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can attest to always wanting to be a better writer. I mean, I, I, I don't know whether I'm a good writer or not, but I know that I'm a natural writer and just always wanting to improve on that craft is, is very important to me. And, uh, you know, another thing that I've been kind of, in my own in my own personal journey, especially now that I you know, I'm almost entering year two at NFL. Uh, only a couple more days. It's pretty crazy, mind blowing. But anyways, uh, you know, being a part of a team is much more of a thing to me now. I've talked about this, I think, in a few episodes. Like I, when I started out, and even working at Football Guys for a little bit too, because you're so isolated at a, at a place like that. You know, you're not you're not all together in the same room. I've always had that that concept of like a, the lone wolf or whatever. Like I'm out, just I'm out for me. But now I'm really out for my for my team at NFL and like going to bat for all of us. But you you know you're part of a a pretty knit team there with like the Audible on the Thursday night shows. You know it's Cecil, it's you, it's it's Sigmund, and it's Matt. What what experience has what has that experience been like? Kind of growing the show together and working together and, and building that team. I'm certain that I would not still be doing what I was doing if it wasn't for that group of guys um, and the community in general, but really that, that group of guys. Um, some of the best friendships I've made have been through football guys and have grown over time. Um, and I, I just, I don't think I'd be doing it if it wasn't for them. And it's not just, I mean, it's, you know, the four of us on the audible, but we make road trips to the senior bowl every year. Um, and we stay at each other's houses when we're in each other's cities. I know you did that with Matt too. It's just, it's been such a welcoming group. And again, this is not exclusive to football guys. And I would imagine lots of us would feel the same way that it's the community that draws us that in lots of ways, I feel like I'm writing for friends. I'm writing for, um, people that I enjoy talking to and spending time with. And that includes people that aren't part of the industry necessarily. Um, but I, that's part of what draws us back to that. Um, I enjoy reading what you write. I enjoy reading what Matt writes and so many other people, Evan and, and so many, many other people. Um, and I, I, you know, I almost feel like we're just part of each other's lives in some way. And, and you mentioned part of being part of a team, uh, that's a lot of what finally drew me to football guys, which is saying, look, this is, this is something you, you really sh should not want to stay away from. This is, this is such an, it, it's been become such an important part of our lives. Um, and it's more than just writing about football. It's, it's a way to, um, 
it's a way to do something and experience something that you love in a different way. And, um, you know, if it weren't for those guys, if it weren't for all of you young pups coming up behind us, pushing us and, um, and doing the great work that you guys are doing, uh, you know, I, I, I really do strongly believe that that's what our community has always been about. And it's so nice to see the next generations falling. So, you know, I, I would hope that, you know, when you walked into those rooms um, and everybody, you know, whether it was every place, I mean, I see the same things when I meet the guys at Pro Football Focus and, and every other places that I've been that um, you can see that the way everybody gets along and comes together, it's, it's, it's a pretty special thing. Yeah, it, it totally is. I talked about walking into that room with football guys in, in Vegas and being like, do I even really belong here? And, you know, within like five to ten minutes. Yep. Like, yep. Yep. I do. <laughs> it's everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody that's that's welcome here belongs here, you know, and that's a great part about our community uh, at large is that there is space for for everyone. But Gene, enough of that uh, positivity and all that, you know, hippie, dippy shit that this podcast swerves too much into. I have to ask you the question that I've been asking a lot of people lately. What is, is there something in the industry that you see that you don't really like that rubs you the wrong way or you wish was different? If there is, I don't focus on it long enough to, I, you know, there's, and it's, that's the same thing with my day job. I just don't think it's healthy, at least for me to allow some of those things to bother me. So um, there are certainly some things on Twitter that you would hate to see. Um, the trolls and the, uh, some of the negativity on there, but I just mute it. I really have time for that, you know. And I think um, focus on the positive interactions that you have with people. Focus on what you want to be positive about your time there, um, and leave it at that. And and hopefully, um, as many of us try to do that, that that is that's the expectation. Um, for the community, and that's what the vast majority of us continue to uphold. And I, that was another one of the nice things about Football Guys. Before there was Twitter, there were message boards, um, and our message boards at Football Guys always sort of reflected that, and our interactions have, have always, I feel like, tried to bend, um, you know, leave that sort of stuff out of it. Uh, you know, if it happens, you know, address it as you need to. But I don't think there's one particular thing that, that really gets me. There are some days that you just have to be off Twitter a little bit where it's just, just sort of a toxic environment. But that that's not just Twitter. That's everywhere. But I, my advice to my boys is, uh, is just to try to stay away from that stuff. Don't let that stuff bring you down. Um, if there are things that you're worried about on a negative side of things, um, find a way to turn them into a positive. Um, if you're going to complain or be negative about something, offer a solution at the same time. You know what I mean? So I just, I, I try to stay away from that stuff as much as possible. So I probably, it probably doesn't even register on my radar because I just sort of let it pass to the side one way or the other. At least I hope I do. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the best way to approach it. And Gene, I have to say, I think, uh, you know, especially based off your last answer, like, you know, it's another one of the audible inside jokes is, you know, that this is, um, this is, you know, brought to you by Gene Bram brought to you by Xanax, you know, and I feel like this whole podcast has been that way, very calm. And maybe it's because we're recording at night, which I don't normally do. But uh, this is, it's, it's been a very, very calm and, and uh, cerebral podcast, which I, I have enjoyed. And I've enjoyed this entire recording with Eugene. I really want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me. But of course, I can't let you out of the show without ask without doing what most guests seem to hate, but I do it anyways, because it's my damn show. 
Uh, I always give the guests one last shot at the floor before we get out of here. So, Gene, before we before we ditch this 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 podcast, the floor is yours. Yeah, and being number thirty-seven on this, I've listened to at least thirty of them, I would imagine. So, I think you know, hopefully, like many of your more recent guests, you're sort of prepared for this. I had I had sort of planned on taking the beat be curious line with this, which I think is important, not just for, you know, football and, and writing, but life in general, um, be a critical thinker, ask questions, um, you know, moral Tremblay, another brilliant person at football guys talks so much about trying to be aware of your own biases. And if you encounter something that meshes with your personal philosophy of life, that's something that you probably want to be even more aggressive in looking into so that you don't have that sort of confirmation bias side of things. Um, you know, I think the first 10 to 15 episodes, and it's a, it's a testament to the people that you chose to come on in the very early stages of your podcast, that the familiar reframe was be kind. Um, so, you know, I, I, I I have conversations with my boys in the car all the time. And I think, you know, it's simplistic in some way, but the three, I, those are the three things I tell them, please work hard, please be kind, please be curious. Uh, and if, I think if you, lots of life sort of bur- you know, boils down to those sorts of things, and I don't really mean to get all sappy and super meta and all that sort of stuff here, but um, I feel like, I think that, I think that, you know, Matt, we just spent a lot of time even before we started recording talking about some of the recent current events. And I, I, you know, I think if, 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 if life would try to follow those things a little bit more often, or at least strive to do that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have to ask the negative question as much. What bothers you about this? What bothers you about that? And um, maybe that's a little bit idealistic and optimistic, but um, that's, that was always what came to mind. And I always appreciated when you asked your earlier guest about this and that was the answer they'd give because that's the answer I hope that, um, that, that folks would want to give. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there, that's about, you know, what we can control, what we can offer into the world with the positivity that we can put back into it. You know, it is, it is very powerful and, and I, you know, we might not fix You know, we might not fix uh, everything by holding a door open for a stranger or, uh, or, you know, being kind to one one another on Twitter or being patient with somebody that's not being patient back to you. Uh, but uh, it, it helps. It does something. Even if it's 1.01% of helping uh, towards the greater goal of making the world a better place, it's worth it. But anyways, Gene, I, I thank you so much for your time today. I've, I love Gene, man. And I can, to the listeners, if you couldn't tell, I'm really excited. I've been really excited to have him on for a while. And this was a very good episode. Lived up to all my expectations, which is really the only thing that matters. But Gene, again, thank you so much for this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for continuing to uh, tune into the podcast. I'm always blown away by the interest from you guys. It's it's a tremendous uh, experience that you've made it here for me and for all the guests by proxy as well. So if you could continue to uh, listen to the show and share it with your friends, uh, your mom, your dad, your enemies, your dogs. You know, we're all about dogs here on the Backyard Banter Podcast. And uh, also continue to rate and review the show on iTunes or Stitcher or what have you. We're going to be coming back uh, with even more guests here towards the end of season one. Uh, and I continue to look forward to sharing those with you. So thank you all so much for listening. And I hope you learned something today.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.